Will you guys join me in the reading of God's Word? And stand if you're able to as we uh, read God's Word this morning. Join me and stand if you're able to. We're going to read our passage this morning out loud together. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us, and his love is perfected in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given assurance to us from his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. In this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, for, as, for we are as he is in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear, because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Amen. That's the reading of the word this morning. You may be seated. You know, I was thinking about uh, navigators, um, explorers, and the most important tool that they take with them on a journey is a compass. Because no navigator, no explorer would be found successful in their journey without being able to know what direction to take. Why is a compass so valuable? Why is a compass so valuable to a navigator, to an explorer? Because a compass is very unique. It is attuned to the gravitational magnetic field of the earth. And it constantly points the way to true north. So it is with someone in, who is found in Christ. If we find ourselves in Christ, we are, we are gravitated to his love because God is love. And we will not be successful. As a matter of fact, we would be lost in the journey of life if we didn't have love. If we didn't have the tool that God has given us. If we weren't attuned to the nature of who God is. God is love. This morning we, we dive into our passage and we're going to see the challenge that he gives us, that he is love. Three times in this passage that we just read, we're encouraged to understand because God is love, we are called to love one another. 
It's not a suggestion. It's not a, well, this might be something that would be important. No, it's a challenge, a command, an encouragement for us to live out who God has designed us to be in loving and expressing God's love to others. It's found in 1 John 4, 7, 1 John 4, 11, and 1 John 4, 19. This morning, I want to encourage you guys that I believe loving others depends on three things. And this is what we're going to look at this morning from this passage. To truly love others, we must be committed to understanding and to carrying out these three things. Number one, in order to love others, we have to relate to God personally. We must have a personal relationship with the God of the universe. Without that, we are unable to love because we are not connected. We are not relating with. We are not in the love of God. That's found here in 1 John 4, verse 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. Do you realize this is the third time that John has written to his audience? The third time in both the Gospel of John that we find in the, in the fourth book of the New Testament, as well as this epistle, the book of 1 John, that we are navigating through during our series here on Sunday mornings. It's the third time that John has emphasized something to his readers about who God is. It starts back in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 24, when he tells his readers that God is spirit. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship, worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, what does God is spirit really mean? Well, God is spirit, it, it relates to his essence, to who he truly is. He is not bound to physical limitations like you and I, like flesh and blood. He goes beyond the bounds of creation and time and space. His essence is spirit. He can be in more than one place at one time. He's omnipresent, the Bible tells us. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. There's nothing that can constrain him, nothing that can subdue him. Nothing that can overpower him. He's omniscient, all-knowing. There's no mystery to God. There's nothing that God doesn't understand. God, the spirit that hovered over the waters, it tells us in Genesis chapter 1, and spoke the very word that put into motion the universe that you and I marvel at today. This is who God is. He is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Secondly, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, he tells us the second characteristic of who God is. He says that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. What does this mean, God is light? It's referring to his nature. His nature is holy. His nature is perfect. His character is good, true, and trustworthy. It's put against the starkness of darkness. Have you ever been in a place that's completely dark? Last night, I was 
kind of closing up, the, the Slavic church had an amazing outreach uh, yesterday. If any of you guys were here, you were able to see what they were doing in our courtyard, and they were ministering to our community and proclaiming in the name of Jesus. It was a very powerful event. And I, so I was here kind of helping them with some of the details, and, and uh, they asked me to be on stage to pray over the event, different things like that. And as I was kind of closing up, you come back in here, and it's like 9 or 10 at night, and it is pitch dark in this building. If you haven't been in here at night, I challenge you. And, of course, there's these chairs set up like they are, but I can't see a thing, and I'm carrying something, and I'm stumbling through the aisles. The aisles might look straight, but they sh maybe I can't walk straight. I don't know what it was, but... But pure darkness is something that's just confusing. It's disorienting. It's hard to move forward because we don't have the light. God pierces that darkness with who he is. And in the contrast of everything that might be confusing, disorienting, and, and, and causing us to stumble and fall and, and, and experience pain, God pierces that environment with his light with his goodness, with his truth. His ways are trustworthy and true. Finally, John tells us here in our passage in view this morning that God is love. 1 John 4.8 tells us that God is love. His actions reveal and define love. All that God is all that God does expresses all that God is. Think about that. Love does not define God. God defines love. Everything that we understand to be love either comes from the world and its definition, or it comes from God and what he has revealed through his nature and through his actions. And we have to adopt one definition or the other as we navigate this world. You see, love is one of the greatest hijacked terms in our world. In the name of God is love, God is love, there are people celebrating all kinds of debauchery, all kinds of things that have nothing to do with what God has demonstrated love to be, with what God has set forth through his nature, through his actions to be loving, and to be good. And yet, the devil has a way to get in and, and twist the terms. And we think that love means something that we have created here on earth. But that's not love at all. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite of love. God's love even is expressed through his judgments. His judgments are loving and good. That's hard to fathom, hard to contemplate. But it's the reality of God is love. His nature comes through everything that he's ever done. Everything that he ever does is loving and good. You see, we can't begin to love others the way that he's called us to do unless we first have a relationship with a God who is light, a God who is spirit, and a God who is love. John knew that. John walked with this God who had taken on flesh. And that's what's interesting. We know that Jesus took on human form. He took on flesh. The God who is spirit 
took on flesh. Why? For our behalf. And certainly we will have a body like unto his glorious body one day. Amen? But think about God and his resurrected flesh. Is it limited or can it walk through walls? Is it limited with the idea of time and space like we think about it? Or does it supersede those concepts? We know that Jesus, in his glorified body, which we will also receive, the Bible tells us, is beyond what we consider to be flesh and limited by everything to do with flesh. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 describes God's kind of love. Starting at verse 4, it says this, Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not conceited, does not act improperly, is not selfish, is not provoked, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. God's love is about this kind of love. It's about a love that never fails us. It's about a love that's unending, that's enduring through all circumstances, that always believes, that always hopes for a better future, that desires the one who is receiving it to embrace all that it desires to give the one who receives it. That's the love of God. Are we loving others the way that he has first loved us? That's the challenge. I don't believe we can do it without having a personal relationship with the God of the universe, the God who is spirit, who is light, and who is love. Number two, loving others depends on a second thing here in our passage, and that's this, recognizing what God's done. First, we need to relate with the God of the universe personally. It can't be good enough to just kind of go to church or just be raised in a Christian family. It has to come from a personal choice to say, God, I recognize who you are, and I choose to surrender, submit my life to you. I want to know you. I want to I follow you. I want to I put my life submitted to you. But second, we have to recognize what God's done. Because God's opened the door for us to have that kind of relationship with him. And he acted in our world. He didn't leave it in its state of decay and state of hopelessness after man's rebellion and sin that has been ongoing since the very beginning, since the first man and woman were created and rebelled against God, sinned against God in the Garden of Eden. Ever since then, man has chosen his own way Each and every one of us have gone astray from God and his perfect law. We've all broken the law. We've all chosen sin, selfishness. We've all chosen not to love. Have we not? Let's be honest. Because of that, we're all guilty of sin. We're all left in a state of separation from a holy God who cannot be connected 
to someone who is under his wrath and sin. And yet God didn't leave us in that state. And that's what the, the, the gospel of John is all about, proclaiming the message that he had seen and heard firsthand. Imagine John's life. John started out as a fisherman, like Peter, like James, like Andrew. He was fishing, and Jesus showed up and changed his life, called him to leave his nets behind and to no longer fish for fish, but to fish for men. John, he answered that call. His life was forever changed. And he witnessed all the way to the cross. The Bible says every other disciple abandoned him during that last moment where the Romans were putting him on trial. The Jews had betrayed him and sold him out. John was there at the cross. John witnessed him say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. As the, as the Jewish leaders hurled insults and mocked and ridiculed him, the soldiers laughed. And, and, and just divided his garments and, and basically cast lots for his clothing. There was Jesus on the cross. He was continuing to love. John witnessed this. John wanted his followers, the, the ones who had placed their faith in Jesus, the church, to understand what God had done through his son Jesus. Listen to what he says in 1 John 4, verse 9. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. That term one and only is unique. It's like the idea that there is no one like. There's no other. It's a one of a kind. That's who Jesus is. He's a one of a kind, a gift from the Father. He gave a part of himself to take on flesh to fulfill the mission of rescuing us from our sins, of loving the world so much. John says God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. And love consists in this, not that we love God. Notice the initiation is not from mankind to God. That's not where it begins. It begins with recognizing that God acted while we were still sinners, Romans 5.8 says. While we were still dead in our trespasses and sin, the book of Ephesians talks about. While we were still in a hopeless, despairing condition, Christ died for us. Christ was given by the Father to come and rescue us from our, from our desperate situation. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is the second time that John uses this word. And this word has to do with satisfying all the holy requirements of the law. Do you realize when you're reading through the Gospels, Jesus says, hey, he shows up with John the Baptist. John's his cousin. And John says, dude, I'm not worthy to baptize you. I'm not worthy, I can't, I'm not even worthy to tie your sandals. I know who you are. You're the Messiah of God. You have been sent to deliver us. You are the anointed one, the holy one of God. And Jesus goes, calm down, cousin. 
this just needs to be done to fulfill all things. So John goes, okay, if, if it's about like fulfilling what you need to fulfill, I'm all in, I'll baptize you. But it's certainly not for the, your need of repenting of your sin, which is why John was ministering. Because people were coming to him and he was saying, you guys are sinners, we're all sinners. We need to repent, get, get right with God, repent, turn away from your sin because the Messiah is coming. That was his message. And those who repented would get baptized by John as a symbol that they were ready to receive God's gift of deliverance through the, the coming Messiah. Jesus shows, shows up. John says, I don't need to baptize you. You are already pure and holy and good. Why would I baptize you? I need to be baptized by you. But Jesus says, hey, I'm here to fulfill all things that were written about me in the Old Testament. Everything that was prophesied me must be completed. That's why I've come, to do God's will and to fulfill all things. He was sent by God the Father to be a propitiation. Propitiation means a substitute to step in to our place that we deserved. See, when we sin, we deserve God's wrath and punishment for sin. God would not be just and good if he did not punish what was wrong. When my kids do things that are wrong, I'm not a good father if there's no discipline that comes from those situations. I would raise spoiled brats. Now, how many of you guys like having to deal with spoiled brats that I raise? How many are upset with me? You're not a good dad. You're not taking care of your kids the way you're supposed to. It doesn't mean I'm abusive. I should discipline in love because that's how God disciplines. But I should discipline God is holy and righteous and good, and he has to, in order for him to be just, in order for him to be the, the judge that is fair and does what is right in a situation, he must look at our condition, sinners rebelling against the holy God, and say, you're guilty of that. You need to be punished. That makes him holy and righteous as a judge, and just, fully just. That's our God but he's also fully loving and merciful. And he gives what we don't deserve, and that's what Jesus came to the cross to accomplish. He was the substitutionary atonement for our sins, the perfect sacrifice. The only one who was perfect, the Lamb of God, the Bible says, who takes away the sins of the world. Without him, there would be no propitiation. That's a fancy term. There would be no satisfaction before the Father to look at what Jesus did and say, yes, instead of every one of you guys receiving the punishment that's due your sin, all accept what Jesus has done in your place. That makes him just because sin was punished, but it makes him loving and merciful and gracious and good because we receive the benefit of what Christ took our place to do. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the good news that John was proclaiming as a disciple. He wrote so that we could understand what God had accomplished through his son Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven whereby man might be saved except for in Jesus Christ. 
It's not some sort of thing where I'm up here and saying, Christianity is the right way and all the other religions are wrong. It's not about that. It's about what God had to say and about what he said Jesus accomplished. There is no other. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, the Bible tells us. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me, Jesus said. It's not about religion, guys. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship that is offered to us freely when we embrace what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. Through Christ, through Christ, God has done some things. Number one, he's revealed his love. If you want to see a picture of love, you should always look to Jesus. Throughout the Gospels, he interacts with lots of people in lots of situations, and he is always a perfect picture of love. Do you realize that? Is he hard sometimes with some of the people he interacts with? Did he pick up a whip and drive them out of the temple? He did. Was that loving? It was. You see, loving involves chastening, the Bible says, discipline, correction. Sometimes, like our world says, oh, you're not allowed to ever correct your kids. You know, you just keep giving them candy and they'll be good. Right? That doesn't work. Love does not involve not ever disciplining, not ever correcting. Jesus also interacted with people who were down and out, who were ostracized, who were considered less than, worthless. And he went right up to them and he spent time with them. He gave of his precious time and he gave of his heart and his concern for their life. He ministered to them when no one else would. That's a picture of love. He met people where they were at. Number two, through Christ, God has rescued us from sin. Christ was made flesh and was made sin for us. Think about this. In order to be the perfect substitutionary sacrifice for our sins, he had to become like us and become flesh. To be able to die in our place, he had to become someone who could die, take on flesh, experience everything we experience. The Bible says he was born of a virgin. He was the virgin conceived from the Holy Spirit. There was no natural birth that took place. He was planted, if you will, in the womb of Mary, a chosen servant of God. And he was born into this world. And yet no sin was found in him. He lived a perfect life. I'd hate to be one of his siblings. Can you imagine? It was Jesus' fault. No, guess it wasn't. Jesus is perfect. Jesus lived his life to show us what love looks like, to show us the way. And he grew up to be the perfect sacrifice for sin. You see... He rescued us because he was made flesh, the Bible says. John chapter 1 verse 14 talks about that. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And John says, we have beheld the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. But he also became sin for us. 
What does that mean? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 talks about the idea of what Jesus did. He took on sin upon himself. All the sin of all mankind of all time was t- placed on Christ when he went on that cross. I can't even imagine the torment that he went through for that time of sacrifice. He became sin so that we could be made clean. That's why we give him glory and praise. That's why he has a name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what the Bible tells us. Here's the question, will you bow of your own free will now when you have the opportunity or will you be forced to bow one day? when it's no longer about your choice, but it's about God's glory, and he will make your knee bow. So the question is, when do you want to experience his love and his goodness? I say experience it now, before the day of judgment. Don't wait until that day when he has to love you through perfect judgment and perfect wrath, because sin must be covered. And if you reject the covering that God has provided for sin, you basically are saying, I'll pay for sin myself. And God will lovingly say, okay, if that's the way you want it to be, I don't want you to have to go that route, but I will, I will allow it. I will allow it because he respects free will. From the beginning, he didn't make us a robot. From the beginning, he gave us the opportunity to choose. And we have an opportunity to choose Christ and the covering he provides our lives. Right now is the day of salvation. Let today be the day. Now is the time of God's favor. Let today be the day of salvation. The third thing that he did for us in Christ is he reconciled the world back to God. Christ died so that we may live through him, for him, and ultimately with him. See, that's why Christ went to the cross, so that we could live through him. He wants to live in our lives. His love comes into our life, and we can't help but pour that out to others. We live for him. Everything we do is an act of worship to our great God. And we, we one day look forward to the day that we will see him face to face. Do we not? There will be no more pain, no more sorrow. Boy, I look forward, the older I get, the more I look forward to it, right? Because why? Because I experience more pain and more sorrow. And so there's a sense that we just start longing. I want to see you face to face, Jesus. We have that great hope and we have that great assurance because of what Christ has done for us. Loving others depends on relating to God personally, recognizing what God's done, and finally, remaining in God's love. Boy, don't forget this third area. Many of us experience the love of God. We're transformed by it. We're excited about what he's done in our lives, what he accomplished on the cross. But then the, the weights of this world and the journey that we're on start to weigh us down, start to distract us, start to make us discouraged. 
and we begin to unplug from the very source that is going to keep us fired up about being able to love others the way that he first loved us. We have to remain in his love. What does that look like? John tells us. Look at 1 John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 13. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given assurance to us from his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. What do we receive through the Holy Spirit? Through the Holy Spirit, God provides us assurance of our salvation. He provides us assurance of our salvation. We know when we receive the new desire to please Christ that we've passed from death unto life. Do you realize that when, when we're living in sin apart from God, we have one nature, and that one nature is to do what is pleasing to ourselves. Do you realize that? Sometimes we do things that look loving, but it's self-motivated. We think we're going to get something out of it. That's why we're motivated to do something good. But when God changes us, he moves into our lives, he places his Holy Spirit in us, we have a new nature. And that new nature is to please Christ, to please God. And suddenly we have an interesting battle that's set up inside of us. On one hand, we still have the old nature until we, we have the body like his body and we see him face to face. We have that old nature that's going to struggle with wanting to please ourselves but we have a new nature that's given to us by the Holy Spirit to please God. But the reality is, if you don't have the new nature that wants to please God, then you have no assurance that you're saved because you're lacking something. You're lacking the Holy Spirit that moves in, that changes, that transforms our lives. God wants you to have the security, the assurance that comes through his Holy Spirit. Number two, we have, through the Holy Spirit, authority to testify about him. We continue to be salt, to be light, to be his hands, his feet, to be ambassadors of Christ in this world. Did you hear what he said in 1 John? Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him, and he in God. Do you realize that's an ongoing thing? That's not like a one-time thing, Right? He doesn't say, like, you confess once, that's good enough. You know, as a marriage counselor, there's an old joke where a guy came in and the marriage is in trouble, and he, he pulls the wife aside and he says, so what's the matter? And she goes, I don't know that he loves me. And he goes, well, why do you think that? He goes, he never tells me that he loves me, ever. So he calls the husband and he goes, your wife's complaining that you never tell her that you love her. What's, what's the deal? And the husband goes, yeah, that's pretty much true. I told her once. I said, if anything changes, I'd let you know. Well, that doesn't work, right, for a relationship to never hear that you're loved and to, to experience it ongoing. That's the, that's the type of confession that God wants us to have as we walk with him in this world, that we're continually confessing that Jesus 
is the Son of God. Through our actions, through our words, through our relationships with others, that we're having conversations, that we're interacting with people in ways that demonstrate the love of God that comes from the source of that love, that Jesus is the Son of God. We must confess that regularly. That's how we remain in God, and God remains in us, and we remain in his love. And finally, what do we receive from the Holy Spirit? We receive absolute peace and rest. Absolute peace and rest. Contentment and confidence is ours, no matter what circumstances we face in this world. Listen to the way he says it here in 1 John 4, 17. In this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, for we are as he is in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears has not reached perfection in love. Man, I remember being a kid and I'd play baseball in the backyard with some friends down the street. And of course, we're kind of getting a little careless, and we were hitting the ball, um, and we decided that, you know, a wiffle ball wasn't good enough, so we got out the hard ball, and uh, I was up to bat, and I, I hit it pretty good, and it went right into a window. Well, a hard ball into a window doesn't do well. It broke the window, and I was really petrified that there would be a consequence to that. And so, you know, the old, when your daddy gets home, came out, and uh, sure enough, when my father shows up, like, he realizes that I had done something bad, naughty. And I was petrified with fear. Why? Because I knew that I had done something wrong. I knew that this seems to be a massive problem here. This window is not in good shape, and it's my fault. But when my dad came home, I'll never forget that he said, Son, you've already admitted to it. You've already confessed. And it's covered. We'll take care of it. I love you. And to experience the love of a father like that, boy, you know what that did to my heart? That just made me feel assured that I was perfected in that kind of a loving environment, that it wasn't going to be held against me, that I could just receive and rest in that love, and I didn't have to fear. Do you realize that's what God's done for us? God has perfected love. And he said, hey, all I'm looking for you is to admit you need my love, to admit that you've made mistakes, to own up to your sin, to confess it, lay it at my cross, and leave it there. Rest in my love. It's forgiven. It's covered. The blood of Jesus covers your sin. Don't walk around in fear. He is in control. He is all-powerful. He has taken care of your sin. He's removed it as far as the east is from the west. Those two, by the way, they never meet, right? You can keep going west forever. You can keep going east forever. You can't keep going north forever. You eventually get to the top and you have to come back down and you start going south. So he uses this analogy, as far as the east is from the east, you, you can never have those two ends meet. That's as far as I've removed your sin. God tells us, there's perfect, perfect love. It drives out our fear. We love because he first loved us. 
as I close this morning, I want to challenge and encourage us in, in a couple of things. And so as you just kind of like bow your head, and I want you to just be thinking about your relationship to God. Maybe you've come in this place, and, and this has been a, a moment where you first have understood the love of God in a new way, a way that makes sense to you, a way where God's Spirit is working in your heart and in your life to say, have you embraced that love that comes through confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior? Are you confident that you know God? Are you confident that you know God? Have you truly been born again? Have you received God's offer of life that is found in Christ Jesus? Examine the evidence. How do you love? Do you truly love others from a place where God is empowering that love because you've experienced his love firsthand? You know him. You know the God who is light, the God who is spirit, and the God who is love. You've come into a personal relationship with that God through his son Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross? Have you done that? If you, if you have, you should be loving others the way he has first loved you. That's what John is, is arguing in this whole book. He's trying to convince the church that are you truly oriented like a compass to the true north? Or are you lost? Are you just wandering around aimlessly? Because those who are oriented to the true north know God and know his love. And evidence of that is the way that they love others in their world. Second question I want you to contemplate is this. Are you living in fear? Are you living in fear? Are you consumed with guilt or shame or just uncertainty? Do you worry about God's judgment? My challenge to you is this. Embrace his love. He wants to cover. His perfect love will cast out all your fear. You don't have to worry about it anymore. You don't have to beat yourself up with the past, with guilt or shame that the devil keeps trying to point to as what makes you unworthy. We're all unworthy. God wants you to understand that he loves you embrace his love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for your message, your word this morning. I pray that it might just resonate in our hearts. Just flood our hearts, God, today with your love. It's such a beautiful thing to be loved by God. Help us to delight in that. Help us to truly recognize all that we have all that we are because we are loved by an eternal, everlasting, loving God. But God, help us not keep it to ourselves. Help us to turn around and love others the way that we've first been loved by you. God, it's only through that that we truly testify about who you are and about what you've done in our lives. Help us to be your faithful church as we leave this place today. In Jesus' name, amen.